Well, if you're joining with us uh, for the first time, or if you haven't been here in a few weeks, we were in a series called If, Dwelling in Possibility. Have you ever done this? Do you daydream? And it's not a good way to daydream, by the way, but we, we, we fall into this trap of daydreaming, and we daydream like, man, if only if. And we think about all the ifs that we wish we could have in life. Do you do this, or is this only me? Like, we think about, like, you know, if, man, if I had a million dollars, do you guys do that one? Or, you know, maybe it's more simple, like, if I had that vehicle, if I had that home, or if, I, if my kids weren't crazy, or if my wife would be more like this, or if my husband would be more like this, or if, or if, or if, or if. I never do that about my wife, by the way. You are amazing. I have never ifed you in my life. And um, other people do that, I just, I'm guessing. So, but we if sometimes things in life because we want to dwell on the possibility. We want to daydream about what life could be like if, and we have all these things, we have like a checklist in our mind that says, if I could just get these five things taken care of, if I could get these five things in my life, if I could get those, man, life would be awesome. And we have our checklist, don't we? It, it can, I'm not preaching alone here, am I? Am I? Okay, thank you. There's two of us that do this. So the rest of you just you know, check your iPad. So um, my point is this, is we all long for something better than we currently have, and we're convinced in our mind that if only we had these few things or this checklist completed, that our life would be better. Can I, can I clue you into what the Bible says? The Bible says that's true. But it's not your list that is important to living a blessed and fulfilled life, but rather God has an if checklist. Did you know that? And that's what this series has been all about. What if we lived like this? Because if we did this, thought like this, if we lived like this, whatever it was, then we could have what God really wanted us to have. And today, the same thing is very, very true. And many of us in life are looking for fulfillment. We're looking for God's purpose and plan. We're looking for God to do great things in us and through us. And I'm telling you that today, God's going to give you the if that you need in your life to dwell in the greatest possibility, to dwell in the greatest potential and fulfillment that he has for your life. Everybody shout if. And let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you, God, that your word is true. And Lord God, when we find ourselves in a mess and we find ourselves off and we find ourselves where things are, God, if we would just realign ourselves with what you've said, God, we believe that we would dwell in your abundant life. So God, as we take a look at these words, God, let these words get inside of us, rearrange the way that we think, rearrange the way that we feel, rearrange our future and our destiny, Lord God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said... Amen. If you have your Bible, go to John chapter 15. This is one of my favorite stories. In my, it's not even a story as much as it's like a teaching. It's one of my favorite teachings in all of Scripture. Whenever I go and read this, something just kind of like charges within me, and I get excited again. And it's not a Scripture that really is supposed to charge you. It just does that for me for whatever weird reason. So John chapter 15, Jesus, to give you the context, this is where Jesus is at in life. Jesus has just finished what we refer to as the final meal, the last supper. This is the meal that he has, the Passover Seder that he has with his disciples right before he's to be arrested, tried, and then crucified. And right in between this meal, the Bible says that they get up to leave after this meal, and we don't know the dynamics. They don't tell us the specific details of their walk and where there was, but I got a good idea of where they were. Because when you walk, and as he walked towards the Garden of, of Gethsemane, he had to walk by the temple. Now, here's what you may not know about the temple. King Herod the Great, the, not years and years, there's a multiple set of King Herods, by the way, but the first one decided to, when they were reconstructing and redoing part of the temple, he wanted to put this big, huge golden vine 
on the front of the temple. And the vine in the Old Testament represented the people of Israel. And so he's got this huge golden vine. They say that like this, this thing was so big that like the grapes were the size of people, that kind of a thing. And so there's this huge vine. And as they're walking, this is just what I believe because of what Jesus is about to say here. As they're walking from point A to point B, they're walking by the temple and Jesus sees the temple and sees this huge golden vine and he says these words. I'm the true vine. My father, he's the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And here you see this amazing thought of Jesus. Jesus did this a lot. Jesus, depending on where he was at, what time of the year it was, what festival was going on, he would play on the occasion and play and and let the occasion set the backdrop and become the illustration for how he taught. And he's walking by the temple as he's going to the garden of Gethsemane. He says, see that? I'm the true vine. There's something in me that is, is irreplaceable. It's inexplainable. He's basically saying, I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah. And you need to know this, that I'm the true vine and my dad's the gardener. He goes on to talk about this idea of you producing fruit. And just in case you didn't know this, this is God's big plan and big goal for your life is that you produce fruit. See, we ought to get out of the misconception that God's goal in your life is to bring you pleasure. That's not accurate. That's not true. God's goal in life is not necessarily for you to have the most pleasure-filled life because he knows, and what I know, and what a lot of people have figured out is, is that a life that is bent on pleasure is a life that is eventually destroyed. When you live your life constantly underneath the pursuit of pleasure, you wreck your life. Can I get an amen out there? And Jesus is saying that's not the goal of life. Rather, the goal of life is that God wants to produce some fruit in you. Everybody say fruit. Now, you know, the Bible talks a lot about this idea of fruit, and it's got multiple meanings. Sometimes it's talking about, like, the character of God in you. I mean, that'd be a good fruit to have. Sometimes it's just talking about like the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes it's talking about the product of your life, what, what your life reflects, what, what actually is produced around you. Sometimes it even, it even refers to like the impact that you have on other people around you. Are other people around you pointed towards God because of your life? That's fruit. When your life points other people back to Jesus, that's fruit, that's result, that's the product of your life. And Jesus is saying, I want you to have that operating in you, and that's what God's plan is for you. But the only way that happens is that you recognize, I'm the vine, and you're the branch. And God's got this idea that he wants to do great things in you and through you, and he's got a plan for your life, and he wants to see fruit come from your life. But I mean, fruit's sometimes hard, because we're sinful. Because here's the reality, have you ever tried to break that habit? And not break it? Did you ever try to quit sinning that sin, doing that thing, go with falling into the same old trap over and over and over and over again? Have you ever tried to, to stop breaking that promise, to stop saying those words, to stop acting that way? Yeah, we all have. We've all tried that somehow, and we're all trying to produce fruit in our lives, aren't we? And many times the idea is this maybe I'll just try harder. Maybe I'll work harder. Maybe I'll just be more disciplined. Maybe I'll just, I'll just use willpower and just sheer might and force of strength and personality and I'm going produ- to produce fruit. And we've all tried that, haven't we? You ever tried to be a better person? How'd that turn out? So he says this. He says, I'm the vine and, and my dad's the gardener and he cuts off every branch. I, I'll even allow you to make a little memo in your Bible here because the, the word there is a Greek word that has two ways of looking at it. One was to cut off and the other definition is to lift up. 
Now, if you know anything about vines, and we live in, we live in wine country, so you might. And, and, and in, in, vine, in, in vines, basically, like, the branch sometimes, like, goes down into the ground, and it can't produce fruit. Or it shoots up, and it can't produce fruit because it gets stuck, and it doesn't get enough sunlight. So what you have to do is this, is you have to lift it up and out. And he says basically like this, look, if, if you're not producing fruit, I'm going to put you in the right position and the right place to produce fruit. And then he gives another idea here. He goes, well, while every branch that does bear fruit, meaning the people that really do have the activity of God in their life, he's going to prune them. Yay. That means all of us that are on track and connected and moving forward in the activity, you know what God's going to do? It's not going to be fun. He's going to prune you. And literally what you have to do with these, with these, uh, these grape trees is you have to prune the heck out. I mean, you have to radically prune them back over and over and over again. And here's why. If you don't prune them, these trees have like this desire just to produce lots of leaves and stalks. And that's what they want to do. And Jesus says, for you to produce fruit, i got to cut all that out. Like, we got to trim that back. we got to cut that out. And so there's this pruning process that takes place. Have you ever felt like you were being pruned? Like God was cutting things out of you. Let me tell you, we all need cut. We all need some sin cut out of our life because it destroys us. But sometimes it's even beyond that. Maybe it's just not even just a sin issue. Sometimes I've found this an attitude. And sometimes there's attitudes in me, and they're not necessarily, it's like I'm going out sinning, but it's just a wrong attitude, and God begins to just kind of mess with. Sometimes, you know what I find? God prunes in me a lot, and I resist it. I fight against it. It's my selfishness. I find myself leaning towards self-centeredness. I find myself leaning towards wanting me to be for me so I can get mine. And then I got married, you know. And then I had kid, 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 boom. And my selfish is just pruned back. And there's these moments in life where just God seems to be just shining the light on my mess. Sometimes it's a relationship that God prunes. You ever wonder why they stopped calling? Why they stopped hanging out with you? Why you didn't get invited there anymore? Did you ever wonder why that happened? Could it be that God actually stepped in and pruned them out of your life because that was what was best for you? And sometimes God leaves it up to you. God speaks to you. God nudges you. God says, hey, look, they got to go. Like, you know, she's crazy. You need to stop. Like, he's dysfunctional. You, you know, uh-uh, uh-uh. And you know. But sometimes relationships are the hardest thing to actually cut out of our life because we get emotionally attached to them. And we're so believed, oh, well, what if and what if? And, you know, like, you know, you start dating that guy, you're like, but he looks so good. And he's got money. I know he doesn't love Jesus, but, you know, he's got a lot of money. And he can, he can get saved. That Christian guy, he's broke. I don't know that he's ever going to make more money than he makes now. And we have these ways of, like, justifying getting ourselves into mess. And God's trying to prune and cut back and cut out and take care of and remove. Why? Because he wants you to produce fruit. You ever wonder why sometimes painful things happen and good things come out of them? And then we get mad at God. It's because we're convinced, oh, well, if God's meant to bring me pleasure and God's here to make my life easier, God's here to make my life, you know, just overall better from my perspective, from my vantage point better, we get mad when it doesn't work out that way. Can I tell you that God wants your life to be better? He wants it better from his vantage point. And from his perspective. And so there's this pruning process, he says, that takes place. And he goes, you are already clean because of the word 
I've spoken to you, so remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So he gives this, this, this deal here. He basically comes out right now and he says, this is the key to producing fruit. And it's not what you thought it was because it wasn't trying harder. It wasn't being more disciplined. It wasn't, I'm going to do this. It wasn't beating yourself up every time that you failed, every time that you made a mistake. It wasn't that. It was this idea of remaining in me. Verse number five is this. This is the best verse. I am the vine and you are the branch. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. That's my favorite verse in this whole section here. I love that because it, it, it frees me up, doesn't it? Like a weight is lifted. I don't know if you feel like, like apart from God, I can do nothing. Great, that just lets me know I don't got it. It's not on me. It's not within me. It's not about me. It's not, it has nothing to do with that. It's simply said that if I remain, everybody say if. It, it, you know, God's got a checklist and he's saying, man, if you would just do this and if you would just do that. And, and, and in the checklist of ifs, this is one of the big ones because what he's saying is this. If you really want to live a fulfilled life, if you would just remain in me, your life would be amazing. Not according to maybe the world's perspective and the world's vantage point and the world's checklist and probably not even according to your checklist, but I guarantee you that if you did it God's way, you'd get to the end of your life and you'd take that deep relief, that deep breath, that deep breath of satisfaction and say, mm, I'm so glad that I did it God's way. I'm so glad that I went with him, that I stayed on his path, that I stayed connected to him because now that I look back at my life, I have absolute satisfaction but other people that don't they get to the end of their life and you know what they're filled with the regret of what they could have done and what they should have done and which they wish they would have done if they could only go back in time and change it and why do they feel that way it's because they lived a life somewhat disconnected from God and he gives you the blueprint he said if you remain everybody say remain, remain. the new king james says abide another translation just says stay close it's, it's a word that actually encompasses all kinds of ideas, but it's, it's, it's that idea, just stay close, just stay connected. Like the, the way that you produce fruit is just being close to him. Isn't that way the branch and the, and, the, and the tree work? Like a branch, if you cut it off and throw it on the ground, what does it do? It dies. But as long as the branch is grafted in, it can produce fruit, not because the branch is special, but because the tree is special. Life flows from the tree. The roots go down. It takes in minerals and it takes in water. And it takes in everything it needs and it comes up through the tree and the life is in the tree. And then out of that branch, if he just stays connected, you get bloop. You get this little bloop, bloop. And the fruit that you produce is not based on the, the branch. It's based on what the tree is. Do you know, and I was talking to a guy that actually works in a vineyard and he was saying that with these different these different grapes, that what they can do is they can take a white grape branch, graft it into a red vine, and it'll start producing red grapes. So the fact that you're dysfunctional now, that's okay. The fact that you're weird now, we can work with that. The fact that life is not okay right now, that's okay. Can I get an amen? Aren't you glad that your junk and your mess will not be the same fruit that you have to produce for the rest of your life? You are not locked in to who you are now, but you can be who God wants you to be. Like, you're not locked in. Like, like you know, you look at your parents, you think, man, I don't want to turn out like them, or I don't want to be like my mom, or I don't want to be like this, or look at these past years of all the junk and all the dysfunction. I just want to free. You don't have to be like that. 
As soon as you get grafted into him, you start producing the fruit that he is, not the fruit that you are. Can I get an amen out there? That's good gospel news right there. I don't have to be who I was. I don't have to be like them. I don't have to be like my past. I don't have to be like anything. I can be who I'm grafted into. And this is the idea that you stay close, you stay grafted in. Here's another idea. It's the idea that you don't give up. This word stay close, tarry, stay grafted in, it means don't give up, stand still, just wait. Don't we have a hard time waiting? We want to go and do, and we think it's all if we, in our do. I'm telling you, just sometimes you just need to be still and know that he is God. Sometimes you just need to wait and know that the deliverance of the Lord is coming. And here's the idea that Jesus gives you. He goes, look, you're a branch. Don't be out all by yourself trying to make fruit. That's just weird. Stay grafted in. Stay close. Stay connected. Like that's how the fruit comes. So listen to these words. And he goes in verse 6. He goes, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7. Everybody shout if. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Remember I said, what is, what is the goal of God? What is, it brings him glory that you do what? Bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In this little set here, Jesus gives you the, one of the key ingredients to remaining and abiding and staying close and producing fruit. Because he didn't say it in the first set, but he comes back and he says it in the second. This is what he says. He goes, if you remain in me and, oops, slipping it in, and if my words remain in you. Did you catch that? So he makes this shift, and it's like, yeah, I need you to stay close. I need you to stay connected. I need you to be a part. This is why, like, being at church on a Sunday morning is a duh moment. Like, you need to be at church. It's just one of the ways that you stay grafted in, that you stay connected. You start having church at Bedside Baptist, and you start having church all alone and all by yourself, you're going to lead towards goofiness. You need to be around a community of people that love you, believe in you, challenge you. You need to be in, in, in a place where you have a pastor who's teaching and guiding and helping and correcting at times. That's my job. I'm here to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. That's on my business card. And you, you need that. So you don't, you don't just, well, I believe in God. I won't go to church. It's impossible to read the New Testament and not be connected to a group of believers. It's, it's impossible to like fulfill what the Bible teaches and not be connected to other people. It's impossible. You got to stay grafted in. This is why we worship. We're just trying to stay close, and when I worship, I lose my perspective and I gain his. When I worship, I realize it's not about me, it's more about him. When, when I do that, I'm staying close, I'm staying grafted in. But then he slips in this thing, and this is so huge, and we're going to walk through this for the next few moments, and I'm going to hopefully just land the plane on this big idea. If his words remain in you, you're going to bear much fruit and do much good. Check this out. Let's go through this idea. I want to walk you through this here, because this is where I want every one of you. Jesus is saying you got to have my words in you. If you want to bear fruit, if you really want to be my disciple, my words have to be in you. So let's take back and just, just answer this tough question. Are his words really in me? Are the words of Jesus something that go through my mind on a regular basis? Are reading his words something that is a part of my regular, daily, weekly routine? Am I soaked in his words? 
Because if you're not, it's hard to be a disciple of Jesus. It's hard to say, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, I follow Jesus. And not know what he said. Not be soaked in what he said. Not have your mind renewed in what he said. And so here's where I want every one of us to do is walk through this path real quick here. Everybody say number one. Everybody say read it. Read. I want you to read it. Like, you have to read the Bible. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and not read on a regular basis what he said. Doesn't that seem like kind of like a no-brainer? I feel like no one wrote that down. Like, that wasn't profound enough. But how many of us know that, like, we fall into the trap of not doing it? I know. It's a Sunday morning. You'd think I'd have something more profound to say than that. That's profound. Like, Like, give God the first word on every situation in your life. Like, what if you did that? You ever listen to those like news shows and those news commentators and they're interviewing people like, okay, well, I'm going to give you the last word on that. Don't give God the last word. That's what we do sometimes, don't we? We live life and we're like, well, I'm going to try that. Well, maybe I'll experiment with that. Well, I'm going to see if this works. I'm going to see how that works. And, and then when it all falls apart, it doesn't work. We're like, I wonder what God says about that. We go to God, I'm like, God, I'm going to give you the last word. Don't give God the last word. Give God the first word on everything you do. Every decision that you make, every relationship that you get into, give God the first word. And this is, listen, just reading it, that's just the beginning. But if I could tell you anything, if I could, put it this way, if I had mind control, and I could get you to do one thing, and that was, that was the limit of my Jedi powers, just one thing, I would have you reading the Bible on a regular daily basis. I, that's what I would do. You know why? Because if I can get you doing that, I can pretty much take care of anything and everything else. Because if you're reading the scripture on a regular basis, like I don't have to worry about your generosity. I don't have to worry about whether you're at church or not. I don't have to worry about what type of relationships you're into. I don't have to worry about what decisions you're making. Why? Because the word of God orders and directs all of our steps. You mix them with the Holy Spirit, and then you just got a life that is constantly bearing fruit and glorifying God, and you're satisfied. So read it. Number two is this. Everybody say study it. Yeah, there's more than just reading it. They're they're studying it. Do you know that we, this is amazing, you live in a day and age where you have access to so much stuff, to so much material, to so much information, it is mine. Do you know that like 200 years ago, scholars and theologians would have to read thousands of books just to get what you can do? You can run down to your local Christian bookstore and get a really great study Bible. It would have taken them thousands of books to dig out all that information. Like you have, so like don't, don't just read it, like study it. Like, find out, what, you know, here, here's what you're looking for when you study the Bible. Like, who wrote this? Like, when we look at the Bible, it's not like, you know, God wrote it all. No, God had certain men and women, or people write it for him. And so he had people write it. But who, who wrote it? Who were they writing to? Why were they writing to them? I'm going to give you like a weird thought, and you need to think about this. The Bible was not written um, necessarily to you. Have you ever thought about it like that? Like, the Bible was written for you but it wasn't written to you. Like when Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, he was writing to them for you. Does that make sense? So you gotta know who Paul is and you gotta know who the Philippians, this is where we all get, and I'm not saying you need to go and learn Greek and you need to go learn Hebrew, but like you need to start digging in a little bit beyond the surface to say, God, because here's, here's what you need to know. The Bible is written in layers. It's got so much layers of depth and understanding and context. And see, here's the problem that many of us get into with with maybe like our scripture of the day thing, which is great, I'm not knocking that, but like if that's all we have is our scripture of the day and that's all we've ever had, we end up with a text outside of its context. When you have a text outside of its context, you kind of have a con, because sometimes you get tricked into thinking it means something that it's not. So this is why we study. Everybody say study. 
This is why we study the Bible. Number three is this, we meditate on it. Yeah, meditate. Meditate means that we say it, we chew on it, we think it. I mean, we just let it roam around in our brain. Sometimes this is where we read a, maybe a section of scripture, but we take that one verse and we just soak in that one verse. Work through that one verse. There was a, there was a in the Talmud it says this, it says every scripture has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings. You've done this before if you've read the Bible a lot. Like you read a verse and you come back to it two years later and you read it again and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I've never seen that before. Like, no. Or you're hearing another person talk about it and you're like, what? And your mind is blown multiple times on the same verse. Why is that? Why? We, We meditate on it so that we can revisit it so that it's there for us when we need it. Number four is this, memorize it. There's something to memorizing scripture. Now, I don't want you to memorize it and not do all the other stuff I just talked about, though, because that can be bad, too. Because I remember being a kid growing up in church, and you end up with these, like, Bible memory drills. Did anybody ever grow up, like, doing this? Like, you had to, remember you had to get the Bible, and you had to hold it, and you put your hand on the Bible, and then he would say, like, you know, this, 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 and you'd have to, like, who could get there first? If you do that, but you don't do the other things, that's a waste of time. But when you're doing this all together, you want to memorize scripture, and here's why. For every situation in life, there's a scripture that helps you. For every temptation in life, there's a scripture that speaks to that. And when you have those on file, when those things are in your mind, in your heart, this is why David said the words, Lord, I have hid your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. What words, this is the challenging question, what words do you have hidden in your heart? Some of you have Beyonce hidden in your heart. Okay? Okay? Some of you got JT in your heart. Some of you got that twangy country song hidden in your heart. Some of you have every line from whatever TV show that you watch. You, got, you know all the Seinfeld lines. You know all the friends. You know all the, you know, little fresh prints. You got them all. And they're, they're great. And I'm not even knocking having some of those words in your heart. Because they're funny. And they'll make you laugh every once in a while. But you know what I want more than anything is I want Jesus' words hidden in your heart. And when you have Jesus' words hidden in your heart, I'm telling you what it changes the outcome of your life. Let's keep going. Number five is this. Um, personalize it. Yeah, there's a way of personalizing the Bible. Do you know, this is fascinating. I wanted to read this one for you. Did you know that every Jewish king had a mandate that when he took office, he was to write his own Basically, handwritten himself. He couldn't like get a scribe or get somebody else to do it. He had to handwrite the first five books of the Bible all on his own. You want to check it out? Let's read it. This is amazing. Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 says this. It says, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. This is him saying, look, the king, he's no better than anybody else. Like he's the king, but you're, you're all one in God and you gotta recognize just because I'm the king doesn't make me better than you. Just because I'm the king doesn't mean I get to make up my own laws. Just because I'm the king doesn't mean that you have to live by these laws, but I can do whatever I want to do. He goes, that's not how we roll. He goes, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Can you imagine if we still did this? 
Can you imagine how great would it be if every president that ever took office has to, had to do a handwritten copy of the Constitution and said, this is what I'm about, and this is my, this is my purpose, and this is my goal in this office? What if, what if all of us as believers began to do that on our own? And we say, you know what, I follow Jesus. I'm going to take his words, and I'm going to write my own copy of the book of John. I'd mess you up. You know what's amazing about writing Scripture? Whenever I write Scripture, as I've done it in journaling, whenever I write Scripture, it takes me back to this weird thought of one day John was doing this as he recorded the words of Jesus. One day Matthew was doing this as he recorded the words. One day Paul was sitting in a prison cell thinking about other people, and as God spoke to him, I, I take myself back to the origin of when it was written. So, like, write it. Number six is this. Everybody say, pray it. Yeah, like you got to, did y'all check out on me? All right, if you're taking medicine, it's 1110. I need you to come back. Everybody say, pray it. I'm telling you, sometimes some of you need to pray the scripture over your situation. Some of you are looking for a job. Some of you are believing for a loved one to get saved. Some of you are hoping that your body gets healed. I'm telling you, you need to take the scriptures and begin to pray the scriptures over your life. And then lastly is this. Everybody say, live it. Yeah, this is, and the only way you get to live it is you get to do all the other things. When you don't do the other things, it's hard to live it. But when you've hidden it in your heart and you've meditated on it and you've read it and you've studied it and you've digested it and you've applied it and you've personalized it and you've dug it, I mean, just straight out of the book and just buried it in your heart, you get to live this thing. And James gives this really, really big warning. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, James says, don't be one of those people that only hears the words of God but doesn't live it because if you do so, you'll deceive yourself. He says, there's a, there, he goes, there's a warning I'm going to give you. And the warning is this. Be careful if you sit in church week after week after week and hear the scriptures and actually don't live them yourself because you'll actually trick yourself into thinking, my life is okay, I'm good. When in reality, your life is full of death and darkness. And that's why things are falling apart. Because somewhere along the lines, we began to hear the word. We didn't live it. And that's because we didn't take it beyond maybe the four walls of the church. When Jewish kids were real little, they were to go to their basic primary school and were taught to read. And they basically and primarily used the scriptures as a way to teach them how to read. Because they had one goal, and it was this. is They wanted every young Jewish boy to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Now, to me, at first, that seemed like this far-fetched idea. Like, how in the world could you memorize the first five books of the Bible? But then it dawned on me, like in their day, in their culture, like they didn't have other things to distract them. Like they didn't have like a television. They didn't have radio. They didn't have songs that they had. Do you ever think about how many song lyrics you've memorized? Many of them subconsciously. You ever notice that when you just turn the radio on and that song comes on, you start singing along without really giving much thought to it? Think about how much stuff floods your mind. Living in an information age, your mind is flooded on a regular basis. And those kids didn't have that option. It wasn't even something that they were distracted by. And the way that they were taught to read was by starting out reading nothing but Scripture. So to memorize the first five books of the Bible, I don't think is an incredible leap. But here's what they would do. On day one of your training, when you walked into the school, is they would have a plate with honey on it. And they would take each kid individually and they would have him come up and lick the plate of honey. And then they would ha basically have him um, quote, or they would speak the words from 119 that says this, God, your words are like honey on my lips. God's words give life. And he says, here's the deal. You know what? If you really want a fulfilled life, 
If you really want an abundant life, if you really want to live, because some of you, this is where we're at in life, and this is why we have a hard time with Christianity, it's because we're stuck in the middle. Some of us are Christian enough, and just Christian enough to where our sinning is not fun. And some of us are, 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 are sinners enough to where our Christianity is not real. We're caught in the middle. A little bit of Christian, a little bit of sinner. And we're hanging in the balance. And the world's not as fun as it used to be, but yet God's not as fulfilling as what he claims to be. It's because we're in the middle. And I'm telling you, when you remain in him, when you lean into him, when you get grafted in and stay close to him, and he goes, I'm gonna give you the secret. That one of the best ways to do this is this, is you put my words in your heart. When you remain in me, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna produce the fruit and the character and the life not that you always wanted, but the life that God wanted for you. And the life that when you live it, when you get to the end of it, that's satisfaction. Let's pray this morning. Father, we pray that God, that we would take our old checklist of ifs, and God, we would change it over to your checklist of ifs. God, I think you're smarter than we are. I think you are infinitely wise. I think you are incredibly good. And God, you know what's best for us. And you actually want what's best for us. And you want us to walk in that. And so God, I pray that we change our checklist. I pray that God, we stop daydreaming about all the things that we wish we had if, and that God, we would begin to, to lean into and stay close to your checklist of ifs. That God, if we would remain in you, God, then we would produce fruit. We would bring you glory and we would live an abundant life, God. I pray that as a church and as a people, Lord God, that we take this message and walk out of these doors, God, and we would make our goal to put your words in our heart, to let your words remain in us, God. Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen.